Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, Conduit Church, joined this week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, as we wrap up and... uh, have the series finale of our What's True About God series. Series finale, man. Series that finale. feels very amazing. Very serious. Absolutely. And, and this week was just kind of the culmination of hard times created by weak men and the two responses, uh, which was really good. It was, a, it, was, it was not overly simplistic by any means, but it was simple in the sense of it brought some really good clarity, I think, to the series as a whole. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that was, I mean, if you look at that whole thing, like from Joseph, Jacob, you know, it's, we started back in Genesis 37 and it says, this is the story of the generations of Jacob, right? So it's like, which meant his, the generations, right? His grandfather, father, him, his kids. And to see that they were living in some pretty hard times that were created by a weak, you know, right. by weak men, uh, and realizing the parallel to our own world, which is this is the Bible, man. I think that's what, when I hear people talk about the Bible, uh, this, you know, complain about it, I'm like, man, you're just not, you're not reading it then, because this book was, you know, 66 books, 40 authors written over 1,500, 2,000 years, and it has this common thread through the whole thing. And it's still instructive, you know, and probably some of it is because obviously God is eternal, but also because men are, we're, we're pretty doggone predictable. And so the times they were living in paralleled a lot of the times that we're living in. Yes. Yeah. I had some time this weekend to spend with, with my mom and dad. And so we were sitting around the back porch and just kind of talking about her parents and her grandparents and was learning, relearning some of the names of my of my great great grandparents mm. and kind of where they came from and their journey. Now, were they hillbillies from West Virginia? So this is part of what came up. Actually, we were talking about it, about the difference between hillbilly, okay. redneck, yeah. just the phrasings, and uh, yeah, hill hillbillies would be the technical technical term, right? Right. The 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 slang, um, but yeah, Appalachia, Northern Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky that that crossed over the Ohio River into southern Ohio um, for, for factory work and jobs. And um, it was just a really interesting conversation, just learning, you know, the heritage of, of my great-great-grandparents and how, how they met. And there's just so much to be learned from our generational history. Yeah. And it really does uh, set the scene for where maybe I am today. Yeah. And why I think and feel and do the things that I do um, in that context is just so important, I think, just across the board. Yeah, we in, uh, in Western culture, particularly, and I, maybe there are other cultures like this, but I feel like we are unique in that we're, we're one of the first that I know of anyway, of generations that don't really pay attention to our ancestors as much. I mean, Man, not as much as we should. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're at a place right now where, you know, people Micah's age, you know, are, are looking at guys, uh, my parents, whatever, going, okay, boomer, like is, right. you know. Dismissing them. Yeah, because clearly they're stupid. Right. Um, 
but they've some like they've mistaken the ability not to be able to use your uh, remote control with the wisdom of like there there's just there's some right. wisdom that you know they might know some things that we don't know now and when you look at the scripture you know especially when you're doing like the yearly bible thing you know you do the the, the yearly bible and you get to the the generations part and then you th- those are usually the good days because you can just skip right through them <laughs> the begats uh, right the begats but it turns out that god is a god of generations because he knows that we, we could learn from our past because we are the same ecclesiastes there's nothing new under the sun and that's exactly what was happening in joseph's time joseph was a prophet that was arising at a time when weak men were all around him like capitulating to the hard times they were creating and i thought for us you know moving into a new sanctuary at conduit which is pretty wild right we're going to be in a new space in a, you know, a couple of weeks, give or take. Give or take. Give or take. Um, but it was a good time for us to be reminded, okay, but so we're moving to a bigger space, but why are we at church again? Like, what is it that in this past year, man, if there's anything this past year did for us, and I, I mean not just 2020, I'm talking like we are literally uh, today or within a few days, like hitting the year anniversary of us reopening our church to public gatherings again. Today. Is that today? Yeah. Yeah, a year ago, June 1st, was our first gathering back. That's right, because May 31st Sunday, right, you moved the day forward, huh? Yeah, so here's the year anniversary today. Maybe that's why I was feeling so, like, reminiscent today. I didn't even know it. Um, because that was a question for us. Like, what what do we do now? Because, like, when you think, okay, the hard times created by weak Men and I say the word men because it's biblical and and some and I say the word men by the way too because historically men in leadership are the ones that are making some decisions that you know have pretty far-reaching consequences and so while I know pronouns can be offensive at times to people at this current climate we're in which I guess we'll talk about uh, I am specifically talking about that but it is that the we are living in some hard times that are created by weak leaders and I can think of three examples of that that we have just lived through or that we are living through or that we are about to live through uh, just as American citizens, but just global citizens as well. But man, number one is absolutely the COVID lockdown uh, restrictions that hit us last year. I mean, was that, it was March, right? Middle of March is when things started to trickle down in terms of cities, regions starting to implement some, some sort of quote unquote lockdown. Nobody knew what they were doing. Everyone was guessing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the coasts started first. Yeah, as always, right? It worked <laughs> that its wasn't way. just with our epidemiology that seems to be in general, but. Worked its way inland. But yes, March of 20. Yeah, I guess that that, when I think, what did weak people do at that point? They spoke with confidence about things they didn't know anything about. Um, we can go down the list if anybody wanted to. When Dr. Fauci says, people don't go around wearing masks in an epidemic, you know, and we're all like, oh, so we won't wear masks until next month when now we're wearing masks because you wear masks in an epidemic until December when it was, well, one mask wasn't enough and now it's two masks. Um, now, was he lying or did he just not know what he's talking about? Now, the, the, the fact is, is I don't, I don't know other than the result is the same which is he spoke with confidence about something he didn't know the answer to. 
uh, and, and look, they were making like bobblehead Fauci's, like, like worshiping this guy. He kind of became like the Messiah of this. And yeah, for sure. I remember the worship of it, but it was like not lost on me that almost at every juncture, something he said, he then later pivots on and changes. Now, he's allowed to learn like the rest of us are allowed to learn. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is that he didn't leave any room for that. He he did not leave room that maybe I'm wrong or maybe we should. Or And at one point later on, he said about the, well, what I said that on 60 Minutes about masks, I, I said it so that people wouldn't go out and buy masks so that healthcare workers couldn't. Also known as lying right. to us. Um, and weak people, that's what they do lie because they don't think that I'm smart enough or strong enough to make a decision to say that, Hey, you know what masks, if they helped me, I really want my medical and my healthcare workers to be able to get them. So I'm not going to rush out and buy them, but he didn't give us that. And he squandered the trust of it. And when those lockdowns went in place, it then went into, okay, the only way out of them is, uh, is testing everywhere. And if you remember, like this summer, we were our staff, man, we were testing like the NFL, man. We were like, <laughs> because we were trying to yeah. follow these guidelines and say, okay, we want to, if, if this is true. Uh, and then, of course, you learn about cycle thresholds and realize that literally, you know, half, if not more of the tests that were coming out were actually false positives because... Uh, they were set so high. Of course, nobody knows that. Nope. Right. And then, if you remember, right, uh, Mo got you got the Rona. And how many false positives, false negatives did you get? Two. Uh, the one, one false negative, and I was clearly sick. Yeah, yeah. We're like, I think he got I mean, the Rona. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was like tested on a Monday. By Wednesday, I was down for the count. Like, how could this not be it? Every yeah. symptom in the book. <laughs> Retested, you know, 48, 72 yeah. hours later. And like, oh, yeah, you're definitely positive. I'm like, yeah. what? Well, then what, what What was that that I just took three days ago? Right. Negative. Right. And again, people are allowed to learn. Things make mistakes. But that's we were not being treated like that. We were being treated like this is like infallible information. Yeah. And if we don't shut down, then we're going to kill uh, grandma with it. And it became a moral thing, not a science thing. Uh, and again, hard times being created by weak people because they were looking at a virus that had a uh, 1% fatality, okay? And a year later, we still know the average age of death in COVID is 78 years old. Like, that's a legitimate thing. Everybody knows it. And if you don't know it, uh, you're reading the New York Times. But everybody else knows it. The average death of American right now, 78 years old. So, the average death of COVID is the average death of death. The point being, weak people would shut down an entire country for that instead of saying, hey, let's protect those who are vulnerable, protect those who are weak. You know, weak. And the, but no, they're going to protect everybody because if you're weak, you're going to shut down everything because we can't take any risks at all with no thought to the, to the contrary. Yeah, and this is what I've been trying to, trying to really process, and I've been thinking through how to categorize this and how to offer some clarity to it. But it, it just feels like the ability to critically think yeah. is lost on our generation. Like from the smartest to those with more degrees than a thermometer, all the way down to just, uh, you know, my hillbilly relatives who can critically think really well. Yes. Like it, it, you used to use the phrase common sense. Mm-hmm. I don't even recognize that phrase anymore, so I don't even use it often. 
Yeah. Yeah, because it almost doesn't feel like there's such a no, thing. It doesn't even exist. So just this idea of critical thinking for things such as, like we talked about, the PCR testing, asymptomatic transmission, droplet transmission, bringing home groceries and wiping them down with, you know, spraying them with Clorox and wipes because we thought we were told yeah. that it would, that the COVID could be transmitted by sticking to your goods uh, mask efficacy, locking down schools with children wearing masks yes. outside at recess. Like it doesn't take that much effort to critically think about someone, a child running around outside wearing a mask and how helpful or harmful yeah. that that is. Like that's like a critical thinking exercise that should resolve itself in about 10 seconds. Yeah. And in, in, in the fact that that didn't happen and was politicized and weaponized is what just infuriates me. Yeah, because so that's the, the what you talk about weak leadership. Weak leadership says that you and me, our families can be trusted to make these decisions. You know, so they're, they're masquerading as strength by saying they're going to make the decisions for us. But all that is is weakness because they don't believe that we, you know, they believe that they're the ones that are the strong ones and they're the ones that can help us. And to the point where, and it happened again this week, like I, I feel like at every point, whether it's PCR testing, asymptomatic, whatever, every part of this, as time has gone on, including whether or not this thing started in a Wuhan laboratory right. that was leaked out, literally people lost their social media platforms for suggesting something. Just questioning. That you have to be an idiot not to think could right. happen. Like. Can you imagine if it's if it came from Nashville, yeah. right? There's one city on the planet where they are studying this virus, and it just so happens that that was where the first breakout happens. But we're not allowed to ask the question: it. Is it possible that that was it? Yeah. So, it, you know, this week, man, uh, the, and you know, it's you know, it's bad when the New York Times finally has to say something, right? Yes. But again, Fauci once again flip flops. And says, yeah, we, it might be. We don't know we, 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 what it could be. Um, and at this point, news media organizations are admitting, yeah, we were kind of blinded by the political thing. We were like, I mean, you think that's what was happening? But the point that I get from that is that if you are, what we learned this last year was that in hard times created by weak people, we got one of two choices. One is to just go with the flow, shut up and listen, or the other is to, I mean, one of the most courageous acts of revolution this year was just thinking yeah. for yourself. Correct. And how nuts is that? Yeah. You know, how, and again, you, you know, go to George Orwell, think that guy was a prophet, but he really wasn't. He was just a historian. So here we right. are once again in a place where just the COVID lockdowns, the COVID response alone is hard times created by weak people. And we had make some decisions on it. I mean, literally right now in Haiti, Uganda, Nepal, these countries are like their populations are starving, literally physically starving because of our self-righteous weak leadership that said that lockdowns are the only way to, to move forward with it. So just that alone. And you think, okay, here's Joseph. He's in hard times created by weak people. In Egypt, you know, when even when you look at what's happening there, there's a famine that's coming, you know, there's, but the famine wasn't the only problem. I mean, they were, you know, his family is off, they're vulnerable, 
they could be destroyed. He, he's got to either a withdraw completely from this problem or he gets to engage in it. Now, what his brothers did was 100% withdraw from it and lived lives of debauchery and figured this stuff will just all work itself out eventually. Um, we have some issues facing us right now. I mean, the COVID lockdowns for the last year, I mean, part of me thinks that the COVID, at least the, this part of it's over, but God only knows that, you know, sure. how that, I, I just came back from the panhandle of Florida and apparently there, uh, the pandemic was over, right? Like everybody was out without masks and, um, but we're not, it's like, it's like the COVID lockdown policies that literally destroyed the economy caused then, you know, President Trump and now President Biden to throw bailout plans out there where they're literally printing money, which is a second problem that we're facing. When you start hearing about lumber shortages and the cost of, you know, what was it, Mo, you're telling me? That, so the cost of building supplies alone have gone up this year to the point that if we started our church construction this year, it would have been how much more? It's It would have been increased by 198 percent so there's just an increase in commodities that's almost 20 percent increase so we've been pretty transparent about our building program building project it's a 3.4 million dollar project over these past two years would be a 4.1 million dollar project if we had broke ground a year later than we did so like six or seven hundred thousand dollars yes like out of nowhere for the same exact product in one year yeah in a year's time and when you think um, hyperinflation, when you start printing money, which you can research this all day long, and this has been around for as long as you can remember, countries like Zimbabwe, Venezuela, the, the Soviet Union, when it collapsed, you know, they did something at the Soviet Union that, uh, that you know, we, we economically invaded the Soviet Union where we just kept spending money until they couldn't spend anymore. We outspent them and they collapsed and all of a sudden inflation went yeah. haywire. We are seeing right now what could be the beginnings of that exact kind of thing in our own country. We're seeing it in construction alone. Yeah, I mean, think about that. You've got young families. You've got you know young kids get just got married. I've got young kids got married. How on earth do you afford a house in this, which then jacks everything else up? But the idea was, and this by the way started in two thousand eight. And when you read the Strauss Howe guys talking about it, they think that this actually started in two thousand eight when we kicked the ball down the road with the economic crash. That we're in twenty twenty, but it started then. They should not have bailed those banks out. Wow, yeah. Um, I remember the uh, John Stewart used to have a segment, and it was called "And Martha Stewart Went to Prison for What." And he would have some banker that had done just some crazy billion dollar scam right. and he's still living in his jet and Martha Stewart's in prison because she, you know, inside or traded or whatever. Sure. Point is they printed money then and now they're printing it again. And you think on the one hand, this should make uh, this should be easy. You know, we have 20 trillion dollars in debt. We'll just uh, we'll print a couple of 20 trillion dollar coins. We're the ones that say what it's worth and pay it off. But that's not how economics work. No. So hyperinflation. We don't know where it goes from here, but we do know this. Uh, if you're trying to buy a house in the national market or in most any market in the country right now, it's out of control. Um, the amount of money that was just printed in just this last year alone is insane. Yeah, it's bad so. news. I was talking to two different individuals that are in in the commodities market. They're kind of higher up in their companies. And I was just asking the simple question, when, when will this subside? Like, when does the price of... You know, a two by four relax. Um, 
and they both said in completely different conversations can different different times they both said end of 2022 is when they feel like this will get caught back up again right to where it should be uh, now, do they predict it like with, because I remember 2007, everybody's like, oh, but it'll, you know, they're predicting like a soft landing and they're predicting like, well, it will correct it. But nobody predicted like a crash. Sure. What are they saying? They were just saying that it will, it'll, it'll be a soft landing in about 12 to 14 more months. Yeah. They both. I sure hope they're right. Yeah. And both of them explained that they feel like it will not be like 2008, that it's a very different scenario. Yeah. I remember 2008, them saying it's not like 2000, so it won't be bad. Sure. And then 2000 saying, well, it wasn't like, you know, yeah. people who are in the business of making money, like it's it's in your best interest to predict good news in it. And, yeah. and by the way, maybe they're right. You know, yeah. maybe they're right. Yeah. Their, their biggest their biggest thing was talking about how, you know, in 2008, all of the, the no regulations that were in place for, you know, creating a home loan or giving a home loan, how, how lax it was yeah, yeah. and how there's so much over regulation that if it does, if there is a bubble or a bust, it's not necessarily going to come from the front end of giving away home loans that Got were, it. you know, they, they should never have been given away. Right. And so that, that catalyst w- won't be part of the formula if that was to happen this time. Right. Well, I suppose they're not including is how many millions of people right now are, are staying at home, living on government totally. checks, not yeah. going to work. Major issue. Yeah. Multiple restaurants I was at in Florida this past week were full, not because of Corona, because they could not find people to go to work. Wow. Um, uh, I, I, we've got a mutual friend down there. He owns a home and he was he's down there. And this is a friend that when he says he's using a chainsaw, you know, he has run out of options. He's not a guy that runs chainsaws, right? He's not a guy that he's a guy that hires people to run chainsaws, yeah. and, but they couldn't find anybody. So he's happened to clear his own trees from his nice Florida home because they can't find anybody to go to work. Wow. Um, again, you know, if you're getting a check every week, you know, that's more than you would have, you know, point is that is a hard time with inflation, hyperinflation. And the third one that I've seen, and by the way, we could probably go for hours, but I just don't want to leave this in a de- like complete demoralized, depressed state. I actually have some hope in this. <laughs> Maybe we should have started with hope. Maybe we can edit in some hope in the intro. But the the third thing is what's happening in our courts right now. Uh, as, as, as it relates to, it's it's there's the legal courts and there's the social, the courts of social opinion, social you know, the difference between us, by the way, in our COVID lockdowns in, in Tennessee and, say, California, is our governor, Governor Lee, God bless him, said, hey, up to you as a church. We're not going to infringe on you. Um, but what that left it then was uh, the mobs ruling. And so the mobs are rising up and saying, you know, which honestly sometimes feels like it's a worse uh, fate. Mm-hmm. Even though they can't find you, they can sure publicly shame you. But we do have actual legal challenges happening right now that in, in church world, again, again, hard times created by weak people and weak people say that uh, we can't trust you guys to make the right decision. So we're going to legislate this stuff. And literally right now in June, this case was argued, I think in November of last year, maybe, by the way, the first time Supreme court cases were argued over uh, video screens. Oh, wow. True. Like they were doing it like borderline zoom. I remember uh, Jay Sekulow arguing a couple of things where he, he was just doing it from a camera uh, in, in there, but one of the cases right now in Philadelphia is Catholic uh, Charities, Catholic Social Services, 
being told that um, you have to offer adoption to same-sex couples or you're going to be shut down or it's, it's a violation of federal law. Like, I don't actually know what the consequences if it's fines or if they lose their tax-exempt status. You might know that. But the legal challenge to this is uh, forcing, because I would say from where we sit, where I sit even personally, if the government wants to interfere in that kind of stuff, like it, it's certainly the government's decision. Now, I have opinions about same-sex couples and I have opinions about God's design for marriage, one man, one woman. But this is not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is you have to now use our definition of marriage right. and forcing you as a church, forcing you as a Christian organization, a religious organization, and this would be true whether it's Muslim, Catholic, Protestant, to have to uh, bow to this. Um, and who knows how the courts are going to rule in this right now? I mean, it got to the Supreme Court because it, the, the lower courts were all ruling in favor of the, uh, the litigants suing Catholic social services, saying that they're violating this. And as a church, these things are coming for us. Uh, you know, one of the things, I don't know if I've ever really said this out loud before, but one of the reasons we've never really opened up our church as a public opportunity for just anybody who wants to come get married in our church is that it literally opens us up to litigation for that. That if, um, if right now to be married at conduit church, you know, if you're going to do a wedding in there for the most part, right where you are is you got to be a member in good standing. Um, and that is 100% just a protection because it's not us saying you can't get married if you are gay. It is us saying you can't force me to marry you. You can't force me, our church to use our facility to do something holy. That's actually a huge question because it's not saying that they can't the, the, the all the way back to the baker and the cake, you know, should that guy have made the cake? Probably be, you know, good chance to, to witness to whatever, but should he be forced to by law? And the answer is no. And that's a, the Supreme court did side with him on that. Uh, that's called fascism and that's some of the hard times. And so for us, we would say to that, like, we're not going to, uh, I mean, if, if we lose our tax exempt status, uh, come get it. Um, because it's not just about, I, I, I love Rob McCoy's definition. I think he got it maybe from Thomas Jefferson that morality is about not doing something wrong, but character is about doing what is right. And for us, what would be right is to say that, man, we love, and especially if you're listening to this and homosexual struggle with homosexuality, man, we love you. We want you to, uh, come to the same faith in Christ that we've all experienced. We also say that we see the scriptural definition of marriage as one man and one woman, and it is not something that we can be or will be forced to legally to participate in. Um, and I'll take it one step further because we're in Nashville. There's a local business here owned by a guy named Dave Ramsey. And if you listen to this, you know that Dave is a friend of mine, so that I might sound a little biased with it. But Dave is being sued, and there's local news organizations running stories about this lawsuit. And if you take away all the emotional whatever, the question at the core of this all, and I could see this going to the Supreme Court, because Dave's scrappy. You know, the question isn't, is Dave mean? The question isn't, should he have called her stupid? The None of that's the question. That's what news journalists do to get clickbait. They call them a cult and people click on the links. 
we know the game, we know the rules. But the question is, as a private business owner, can he make a rule that says morality based upon Christian worldview, Christian values, can he do that or not in a country like the United States of America? And this lawsuit says that he can't. And there's a whole lot of issues in this specific one, but that's uh, that are, that are beyond any of us that nobody knows because none of us were there. But what we do know is that that's what the lawsuit says, that she is being discriminated against uh, because of Christian ethics and Christian morals. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And I, look, could I caution you as a Christian when you read a news article, when you read a tweet, when you hear an interview to understand, as speaking as someone who has been not only misquoted, but has been literally lied about, like literally lied about, don't necessarily take it at face value. Um, when you hear something like this, you know, know there are a thousand people that work with Dave Ramsey's organization. Man, they love the Lord and they're doing some good stuff in this world. You know, is it a perfect organization? I, no. Conduit's not a perfect organization. You know, I've said things in staff meetings. I've done things. You guys both sitting here know that if someone went and ran with them, you could make a story about me that makes me sound like a complete tool. Uh, and, you know, and that part of it would be right. Like, I've, I've done some bad, done stupid things. But that's none of that is the question. The legal challenge is this. Can we as a church say that husband and wife, man and woman, if, if you're going to be on staff at Conduit Church, that we want you to abide by some Christian principles. Is there room for failure? Yes. Is there room for forgiveness? 100%. Everybody knows that about Conduit, you know. We don't even use the word church discipline. We use the word church restoration, right? We're, we're not in here disciplining and spanking people. But we would say that if you're going to be our youth pastor uh, and you're going to tell our young people how morality and to live or whatever, that you're going to live by a certain standard yourself that is with that. That's not asking too much. And this legal case created by weak people is going to be the question that could decide, you know, these court, can we, do we have some strong people in the Supreme Court that could make this decision uh, that allows us some protection. And if it doesn't, then what do we do with it? Does, does Tennessee being a right to work state help him or help, help this situation at all? Oh, so you're asking lawyer questions, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a former employee, as a, like a current employer. Yeah. I mean, it does. Um, but they're, they're actually using federal laws with this. If you were to read uh, some of the litigation that's there right now, and again, remove all of the emotional yeah. component of this and just look at the case. Um, I, I haven't even read their, uh, in fact, I don't even know if uh, Ramsey's people have even filed a defense of it. I don't even know that um, yet, but I know this, that, that the case of it is um, what they're saying is that even in a right to work state, that if uh, if I choose to live life in a specific way and, and just play it out in you know in any way I'm I'm, I'm at a hospital and I'm a, a Christian let's say my our friends at Grace Point Healthcare okay Christian guy Dr Rob and he has some rules in place for what it is to live and to work at his place and if you violate those is he allowed to fire you or not um, but what I've seen here is even from my Christian friends saying ah oh, he can't force anybody to live this way. And they're right, by the way, he can't force nobody. I can't force Micah to live any way, but I can say that if you're going to work at our church, that I have a certain expectation. I think God has a certain expectation that if you don't live this way, that maybe ministry isn't for you. Right. I mean, if you can go 
to the Bible, Timothy, Titus, if you're going to be an elder, you need to do this. If you're going to be a deacon, you got to live this way. It's not asking too much. Right. We're kind of back to the common sense. 100% statement. But if you're, you know, in, in a weak world with it and weak lawyers and weak journalists and weak whatever, uh, it's, it's not common sense. It's like, you know, you're, you're fringing on, on, on rights. And the fact is, you know, again, I don't, I don't know this girl and I, I hate to even bring it up specifically because I'm sure I'll get tweeted about it. But the fact is, is that the way that this case goes is it, this matters for all of us for the future. Like for anybody who is a Christian business owner who has a certain expectation of your staff and your employees, um, and I, you know, you're in a bank, you can't steal. That's pretty obvious, right? So everybody would agree <laughs> with that. But where does that line stop and start, right? And the, and the choice shouldn't be me telling you as a Christian business owner what the line is. Um, go work someplace else. Uh, if, 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 if nobody's saying you can't live however you want to live, just you can't live that way and work for our organization. Um, you can't get money getting paid from our church. We're being good stewards of our money, right? I'm not going to let somebody go on a, a progressive Christian rant and uh, defying the word of God with it. If that you know, if that's you, go for it. Just not on my blog, uh, not in our church. So th those are three, right? And we could yeah. keep going yeah. of uh, examples of hard times because that's a hard time. I mean, I promise you, if you are working at the, at the Ramsey organization right now, I promise you, if you are in Haiti right now struggling from lockdowns, and, and if you are literally trying to build a church right now, my buddy John is trying to build a church in Mobile, Alabama, and he is about to get harangued with a big old bill yeah. just because of a financial crisis caused by weak people. But what do we do? That's the whole point of this series, and it is Summed up right here, man. He, we saw it on Sunday. There were two versions, two narratives, two responses to the hard times. There was Jacob's in chapter 42, verse 37. Everything is against me. Whining and victim. And then there was Joseph, which is chapter 45, verse 5. And then he says it a couple more times in between chapter 45 and 50. And it's that, you know what? God was in the middle of all this with it. God led me to here. God put me in this position to save lives with it. And so whatever, if you, and by the way, you've you got some other hard times that are not on this list. Those are your same options. Either I'm the victim right. and I can't uh, do anything about it. And so I have to blame the system. I have to cry out against the system. I have to tweet and to blog about it. Or God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And to rise up even in the face of opposition, which is kind of what we did June 1st of last year. Yeah, we had to make a decision. What are we going to do? I mean, that, I mean, that's really that's really what it came down to. Are we going to be subject to these things using critical thinking, common sense, data, research, empathy, all of those things, and come to a conclusion? Are we going to just sit here and do nothing? and be a victim to this entire thing or rise up with information, with heart, with passion and courage and do something and be victorious in this. And 12 months later, I mean, I'm feeling really good about some of the decisions we made to move forward. I feel pretty doggone good about it. You know, like if you, if I were to look at the last year and, and all of a sudden the death rate would have been 5% and if the, if the average age would have been 24 and, uh, if, if like tons of whatever had, if I would have felt a lot different about our decision, 
uh, if we were wrong <laughs> about it. But it turns out the data that we had in June is the same data that's true now. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, right? Um, but I will say that what for us, those are pretty lonely days, if you remember. Absolutely. I, I kept thinking, are we wrong? Are we... I was genuinely surprised. If I'm being honest, I was actually genuinely surprised that not every church was jumping on this bandwagon. Yeah. Because um, it felt so obvious. And, and when I say that, that actually feels arrogant. And, and maybe it is. And I don't mean it to be. About Enneagram 5, they say that we're intellectually arrogant. And I don't mean. I just, I just felt like this was so obvious. If you take all the emotion out and say, what are the facts? And the facts, even by the June of last year, was that children were not at risk of this. There was no piles of, of children's bodies and thank God for that, right? Um, I look back and think we made the right decision, but I learned at that point that uh, sometimes the right decision isn't the most popular one. Oh, definitely not. And that the cost of leadership is being misunderstood. Sure. Um, we were trying to logic somebody out of a problem they didn't logic themselves into. And I learned real quick that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and I learned real quick that the idea that, because um, a lot of my brothers and sisters who are pastors, God bless you, you did the decision you knew you, were, you thought you were supposed to make, you knew you were supposed to make. But when you framed it as we are making our people wear masks because we love our neighbors, we are shutting down because we love our neighbors, it made it a zero-sum game. And that's what made it super lonely for us was, but we do love our neighbors. Like we just set free 10 slave families in June. We love our neighbors. You're just telling us that you love these neighbors and we can't love these neighbors. Um, I, I felt like they made it a zero sum game and it was hurtful uh, and it was angering and much probably like Joseph maybe. Um, of course, I, if it's easier to make myself Joseph in the story than Jacob. Some people might think I was Jacob, <laughs> but it was lonely for Joseph, right? To, to do the right thing, not just not do the wrong thing, but to do the right thing uh, was a lonely journey for us. But that's our, I, I, it's, I guess the thing is, is maybe this is the, the realization I'm coming to right now is that if, well, we started out the Strauss-Howe theory, right? The generational cycle, every 80 years, it starts over again. And we're at the beginning of the new hard times created by weak people. This might not be like just a, a year-long thing. This might be the foreseeable future right. for us. Right. You know, when you look to just these three things we talked about and then you begin to stack onto it, this might be what it really means to be a Christian for the next foreseeable future. And candidly, it's what it was like to be a Christian for most of history. So maybe we're just getting what uh, what was always going to happen. Yeah. But I would say, what I will say, what I believe with all my heart, is that our job isn't just to roll over and to take it and to, you know, the Romans 13, you know, we obey the, the government, written by a guy, executed for not obeying the government. So clearly there were moments where Paul said, hey, if your command of your government violates the law of God and the command of God in my life, I'm choosing the command of God and the command of God is to gather. The command of God is to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. But I love this thing that Rob McCoy, this pastor from Calvary Chapel in uh, Ventura. Ventura, 
says that, you know, we got confused because we thought peace was the absence of conflict, but that's not what peace is. Peace is God in the middle of conflict. That's right. And so if peace simply meant that we don't want anybody mad at us, then Jesus himself was not very good at that. Jesus made a lot of people mad. Jesus got himself killed for speaking truth and for us to, to admit and to acknowledge that uh, God's word is going to cause us conflict. It's going to cause people to get mad at us. And the next round for us, I 100% believe it because we're already seeing it, is gender identity. Um, it's happening right now in front of us. Uh, and, and us, me just saying that my daughter should not have to compete against a male in a sport dressed like a woman is actually considered controversial right now. And I'm just befuddled by the whole thing with it. But it doesn't mean we can't say it, and it doesn't mean it isn't true, just because it's not popular. And so with us, if, if it's Jacob, we could be the victims. If it's Jacob, then we withdraw. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about even like Rod Dreher and his book, Live Not By Lies, and he has a lot of really good wisdom in that book. But there's one thing that Dreher has called for that I'm not so sure is wise uh, in his book, The Benedict Option. And it was to, he was talking about the Benedictine monks in the Dark Ages and how they withdrew. And that was how they preserved Christianity. And he, he sort of makes this really good, interesting case about that, but then really no practical application. In short, of you and I building a little commune on the back property of the church, I, I don't see that's what Jesus called us to do. It's certainly not what Joseph did. Joseph was right in the middle of the government. And I, on the other hand, feel like we don't need to withdraw from it. And I don't think it's time for Jerry Falwell, the, the rise of the religious right of voters. I think it's time for men and women full of the Holy Spirit to rise to positions of city councils and in mayors and Congress and places where we have a voice at the table and not to withdraw from it. It's going to be hard. You're going to be called names. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to have bad articles written by you. There are journalists right now waiting to just write something so they can get clickbait on you. And we got to do it anyway. I'm thinking a lot about of our uh, our um, Christian brothers and sisters in Canada. Yes, I mean they they it just feels like Canada is I don't know how many years ahead of us, maybe months. But what they're having to deal with still to this day, June of twenty one, in terms of lockdown measures, what they are allowing, not allowing churches to do to meet to gather, is. I mean, I don't even have a word for it at this point. Yeah, it's called tyranny. You have a word for it. And it's it is not it's not going away. Like, you know, Texas, Florida, the South, Midwest, you know, things are finding their their way back to normal. Um, even California is starting to lighten up a little bit. I mean, there's a little bit of, of, of light at the end of the tunnel. You can start to see it just at the surface. <laughs> But that's not necessarily the case in Canada. Like, if anything, they're strengthening yeah. and clamping down even harder, especially on our, our brothers and sisters in Christ that yeah. are trying to lead their church. They're, they're literally in prison right now. Yeah, when I watched the pastor, the Polish guy, being arrested in the middle of the streets for the, the crime of gathering as a church, uh, and then I listened to... Christians, some of them friends of mine, actually agreeing with this decision. I was, I literally didn't even know what to say about it because it's like, it, here's what it felt like to me. It felt like the people of Israel getting out of Egypt, 
And then realizing freedom actually is, it, there's a cost to freedom. Uh, and, and them saying, I, we would rather be back making bricks in Egypt because at least we were taken care of. Um, don't rock the boat. Don't. And it's, it's going to, I think what I'm learning is that it takes some of us, some people to stand up and literally take one for the team, for lack of a better word, because somebody has to go first. I remember Mike Howard saying that about wearing a mask back in January or December, you know, going into uh, some stores without them for the first time and realizing, you know, someone's got to go first because everybody's waiting for the other guy or the other girl to, to do it. Uh, and by this point, we all know, you know, because Fauci had said there's two masks and if you don't, you don't have two, it doesn't work or whatever, you know, all that. So it was, but somebody has to go first. And what we've learned is that the person that goes first is the one that's going to just literally take it because uh, people, again, going back to Dave, what people maybe don't know is that the first hit he took had nothing to do with employment stuff it was that he had a christmas party uh and there were some people offended by it because he had a christmas party and didn't require masks and that was what the article was about uh he took hits because he was the first one to go right um back then i would joke like with him or or darren whitehead or some of these like uh, bigger churches i mean i appreciate you guys doing that because you're the ones getting all the articles and no one even knows we're alive down here like we're, we're doing all this stuff and nobody's writing any mean articles about us because you guys went first but it does take the courage of people like Rob McCoy. Um, uh, gosh, what's the other guy's name out in California? There's, there were California pastors that I respect immensely now because uh, for me, my biggest problem was going to be someone writing mean tweets or sending me angry emails. They were going to jail. They were getting these guys in Canada right now. Again, you're right. We're in June. Okay, we're six months later from knowing some of this stuff and they're still acting as if it's June of last year. They're a year into it now for them. And man, if we need to start GoFundMe's and raise money to pay these guys, you know, bail, like I'm all over that. Like whatever we got to do to stand with our brothers and sisters, that courage is what it takes. And I, I fear, okay, that this virus, which again, we, we've lost friends from it. I'm not saying it's not a, bad thing that hasn't killed some people. That's not what I mean by it all. But I am saying that we've let a virus that killed 1% of the people and the average age being 78, if we if we bent our knee to that, how will we ever rise up against the tyranny of uh, gender, uh, of, of some of the politics that are happening right now? We have, this is, this was a test run you know, I know that the, the, the QAnon people, whatever you might have said, it was a test run for whatever, but I think it was a test run for the kingdom of God, for sure. Yeah, no because doubt. in Joseph's language, God was in the middle of all this. God was God put me here in Egypt. God did this so that many lives could be saved. The stuff that we're seeing right now is the, the, the classic result of weak people creating hard times, but it's going to take some folks to rise up as prophets and take it for the team. It's not going to be fun, but I'll tell you what, uh, one of the quotes that Rob McCoy in, in an interview I just heard is when they were going to, uh, they were heard from the lawyer of everything they were going to lose. And his wife said, I would rather be a widow than married to a coward. Yeah. And I saw that. thought that's, that's it right there. I would yeah. rather, uh, my wife be visiting me in jail than a, than to be a coward in yeah. this. And I know that, that I'm not the, alone in that. There are many of you out there, many Josephs out there, that are going to rise up in this in this time, and that's this whole series. That's what we feel like God wanted us to, to do this study, 
on because there's it's not the first time we're not the first ones to have to go to jail for doing something that we didn't deserve we're not the first ones to be publicly scorned and shamed from it and uh anyway you know world war ii ended in 1945 which is 76 years ago and i was just catching up on a little bit of that talking about my great great grandfather and with my mom this this weekend memorial day weekend talking them through some of that and then just thinking about that 80 year cycle you were talking about yeah and we're we're here yeah yeah strauss house in 1940 was when it started because we we didn't get in the war of the united states but the war had already started in 1940 germany was already yeah. plowing through countries so your great great grandfather fought in the war world war ii yeah did what'd you learn about him um well, that he's he was half Indian, Cherokee, which is pretty cool. That explains Micah's ability to tan so quickly. <laughs> <His> dark pigment, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but he uh, he had lost um, part of his leg to gunfire, hmm. um, and well, ultimately ouch. succumbed to that over just you know a, a decade of of complications. Hmm. Um, stuff I didn't know. Um, his name is Burtis. 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 Like Brutus, but Burtis? Burtis. Not it's, the Bert. hill, it's the hillbilly version of Brutus, man. <laughs> Burtis. <laughs> redneck Brutus. Um, but no, just thinking, man, it's been 80 years since since you know World War II. And just thinking of what this... If, if, if you don't know it already, I mean, we're already in a world war. I mean, it's not been titled World War Three. Yeah. But this is this is not a war of, of, of necessarily of... Uh, you know, ammo and, and missiles. This is a, a culture war. Um, this is a biological war, perhaps. An economic war. An economic war. A, soci- um, a sociological war mm-hmm. against ourselves. And we just have to be prepared. Like, what are we doing? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what can we do to prepare ourselves to be courageous enough to fight? Yeah. Yeah, because that's the, the thing that I took hope from I, it's so. I mean, I'm such a dork because I remember reading uh, the Fourth Turning, the Strauss Howe book, like in the late '90s, because um, I was a complete dork, and they <laughs> predicted based on these 80-year cycles that 2020 would be you know the next turning. Wow. Um, they call every 20 years. They every 20 years they call a turning. They refer to like spring, summer, winter, fall, whatever. And winter is the fourth turning, and so that's the name of the book, and it's a uh, I mean, I recommend it if you literally have hours on a plane somewhere because it's not an easy read. But that was their prediction, and I had completely forgotten about it. It's really interesting. And here we were in 2020, and we were all kind of feeling this sense of, is this bigger than what we think it is? And here we are in 2021 thinking, yeah, yeah, this is bigger than what we thought it was. And, you know, there are things happening in our our world right now. you know, one of the things that, like with me traveling a lot, one of the most interesting things that I learned in the last 18 years was how you could get to a country and they either the national language, right? So in Haiti, it's Creole, but it's actually the national language is French. And the reason it's French is they were conquered by the French. Right. Mozambique, they were conquered by the Portuguese. So you go to literally Mozambique, Africa, right? And their national language is Portuguese. Right. Right. Indonesia, they were conquered by the Dutch, right? I didn't know who knew the Dutch were such fighting people. And it was for spices, like so for some like thyme and some cumin, like they conquered Indonesia. (laughs) But 
the point is they spoke those languages because they were conquered by those nations. And the question for us in our country is what language are we going to be speaking in 30 years? That's good. Yeah. Um, what language will we be? Because what China is doing right now is taking the play from the American playbook, which is they're economically invading the world. Yes. Um, there's a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and I 100% recommend it. It is utterly fascinating. This guy was a CIA operative, and he shows how from everywhere from Panama to Cuba, uh, how the United States would economically invade. We realized it was too expensive to bomb, so we would put our guy in power, we'd put him on the payroll. And by the way, this never worked. Uh, it didn't work at all. Um, it always ended badly. And what you see right now is China building wells, building highways and deep water ports all over Africa, putting them on the tab for this money, outspending us. So does it mean we're going to speak China in 50 years? I don't know. I, I know this, that they are uh, invading us now without firing a shot. That's right. Um, the only thing the United States has going for us right now is that our dollar is the most uh, stable currency on the planet. But how long does that last when we're <laughs> over there printing funny money, right? You know, how long does that last? And again, I don't know. I know this, though, that whether we're speaking Chinese or, you know, Joseph was speaking Egyptian, um, you're still speaking the kingdom of God uh, in those. And I believe that whatever that is, that that is our job to rise up in, in those standards. And as long as we have this 240-year-old experiment in freedom, I want to fight for that, whatever that means and feels like I don't believe it means me picking up arms, but it does mean me not rolling over the next time my government tells me to shut down a church. They will never do that again. That from my cold, dead hands, will they take the keys to our church yes. this time? Uh, I, I say I don't regret because we, we made a decision based on what we thought was true. But man, with the minute we figured out what wasn't true, we opened it up mm -hmm. uh, and we'll continue that. And so my brothers and sisters, if you're listening to this, I hope that uh, you are somehow inspired to be Joseph's in this generation. Uh, one thing that really, uh, and this is the last thing we could, was we end this series out, I didn't get to talk about it on Sunday, was it was in chapter 42, 43, 44, and 45. So remember Judah, this should have been his story. He was the guy that was the bloodline of Jesus you know, every time you see that in that scarlet thread throughout scripture, that person is the main character in that story. But in this one, it wasn't, uh, it was Joseph because Judah didn't rise up in the generation that he should have. But chapter 43 and 44, when the brothers are there and they're saying, get Benjamin, get, he got to keep him here now. And Judah offers himself as a substitute for the first time. Judah, who had been a weak man, began to grow a pair and stand right. up and be the man that God had created him uh, to be. It's not too late for any of us to rise up and to say, okay, my eyes are opening up. I'm Judah suddenly awake to the world that he, to the mess that he had created and offers himself as a substitute for Benjamin, which was a glimpse of what his, you know, ancestor Jesus one day would do, which is to offer himself a substitute for us. And, uh, whether you're 19, whether you're 15, I'm, if you're 15, I promise you haven't listened this far into the podcast, but someday if you happen to you know, listen to this, uh, but if you're 50, if you're 60, man, it is not too late. My Canadian friends, you know, resist, resist with truth, resist by living, not by lies. Gather churches in your homes. If your pastors won't open them up, open your home, invite them in, uh, gather as the people of God, as the people of Jesus together. Because when we come together and we inspire one another to do good things, 
it changes not only our own lives, but it changes the world around us. So of course that's what Satan would want to stop us from doing. This has been a fun series. It's been, uh, it's been, I think it's always good to go back to the old Testament and dive into, um, these stories. There's just so much truth that you can pull from them. And Joseph is one of our favorites, even though it was not Audrey's favorite. Perhaps she still learned some. Yeah, things. maybe Audrey now can wake up and realize it's <laughs> not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, but it's a great series. What's true about God? You can go back and watch and or listen um, to the sermon series itself on our YouTube channel. Just search Conduit Church, or obviously you can check out all of our previous episodes from this series and previous series as well. We are just grateful that you take time to listen and to join us. And if you do want to join us, you can do so uh, in person. Three different services at the moment. We're about to switch to two, and we'll announce some more information about that soon with the opening of our new facility. But for now, you can join us at 8.30, 10 a.m., and 11.30 here in Franklin, Tennessee at Conduit Church. All that information on our .com. And uh, yeah, we're always so thankful that you would spend time listening and watching with us.